0: Greetings Mafra Community Church if you're watching this on Sunday then happy Father's Day if you're a father or if you have a father happy Father's Day let's just uh, open in prayer to our Heavenly Father gracious Father we thank you Lord for your word to us please speak to us today we are your creatures and we need your help to understand our lives this world and to know you so speak to us by your holy spirit we pray in jesus name amen well we're uh, continuing our series on isaiah we're up to isaiah chapter 19 and uh, i'm assuming that you've read that we're reading we're doing chapter 19 and 20 together today so if you haven't read it you can uh, you can pause the video and do that and uh, we'll be going through it um, pretty much verse by verse this morning. Just a, a quick little intro uh, or recap uh, of what Isaiah is all about. Isaiah is about judgment and rescue. It's, um, it's about God's sovereignty over the nations. And we particularly see that in this passage today. Uh, verses one, uh, chapters 1 to 12 are about promise and threat. Steve Messer brought most of this to us. Um, then verses 13 to 23 are uh, ten oracles concerning nations that surround Israel. That's what we're looking at today. We're up to the the fifth oracle uh, today, and uh, last week Nathan brought us the first oracle, which was against Babylon. So, um, so these oracles. As I said, the first one was one that Nathan brought us was Babylon. Then there's uh, in Chapter 14, there's Philistia and then Moab in Chapter 15. There's Damascus and Ephraim um, in Chapter 17, Egypt we're looking at today, then Babylon again in Chapter 21, Edom, Arabia, uh, then Jerusalem. uh, And that's uh, Steve Messer will be bringing that to us um next time and then tire um and greg will be preaching on that one so that'll take us through to the end of chapter 23. um so just i guess to to set the overall scene what what is isaiah's purpose i guess um isaiah's work is to build the faith of a, a comparatively small remnant who will heed god's word and obey it um that they'll trust the promises of God and His commands. Throughout the Bible, um, when God's people obey His commands, it's because they trust His promises. So you can see from the diagram here, God makes promises to strengthen and encourage. God's people believe those promises. Therefore, they obey. Therefore, they experience God's blessing. And it's a, it's a kind of a cyclical, cyclical thing. So... The nations that are surrounding Judah, this is Isaiah's own people. Um, these 10 oracles from chapter 13 to 23 are about these nations, they're against these nations. So there's a, there's a fair bit of reason for, um, for the people of Judah to, to fear. God is doing things among these nations. Um, but as we'll see, there's a greater reason for trusting in Yahweh, in the Lord. So I've broken this into three parts. There's there's the judgment on Egypt. And then there's a, a, a section on healing and blessing. And then there's the, the final section, chapter 20, on the shame of of not following the Lord. Um, so we start with the judgment. We're looking at chapter 19. Yeah, it says there, the, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And... Um, The Jews actually saw Egypt as a refuge. Egypt was powerful, populous and prosperous. uh, And the Jews had this vain confidence in Egypt. They turned to Egypt rather than God. And we see that here in Isaiah 31. Woe to those who get to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Or consult the Lord. Um, riding on a swift cloud, here the Lord is coming. the The big walls of Egypt are, are no match for the Lord. Their idols tremble, it says. Now we know about the Egyptian ancient idols. Uh, there are over twenty, uh, over two thousand idols that they had. And um, the, the judgment on Egypt here is is worked out in three different ways Uh, it's quite a comprehensive uh, judgment that's coming so the first way that it's worked out is in the social structures and you've got in your bulletin there an outline which has these three parts Um, verse 2 Egyptian will fight against Egyptian there's disunity here there's violence uh, there's no social cohesion it's it's ironic that the gods of the Egyptians were known for fighting. Uh, the sun god Ra, who is in the form of a um, uh, a cat, would fight the snake who was called Apep. Every night they would fight um, in, the, in the story of their gods. And um, it, it's ironic when we read Psalm 115. Um, I won't read the whole lot there, but down the bottom there, Those who make them become like them. Here we see the Egyptians becoming like their gods. They're fighting each other. I guess it's a bit like, you know, you are what you eat. But in this case, you become what you worship. And uh, another thing to note about this is that this violence increases in degrees. So it starts with your brother and then your neighbor and then the city and then the kingdom sin starts off relatively small and and gets bigger if left unchecked we see in verse 3 there's a lack of understanding there Uh, the spirit of the Egyptians with them in them will be emptied out they sought counsel in in all the wrong places in verse 3 that they They're looking for help with their idols. Now, obviously, their idols can't speak. We just just saw that in, in Psalm 115. They have eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. Mouths, but they can't speak. They're sorcerers. They're turning for help to the sorcerers. God warned His covenant people about this, about turning to mediums and sorcerers. In Leviticus 20, verse 6, He said, If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, Pouring after them, I'll set my face against that person and will cut them off from his people. Um, And necromancers and mediums are those that consult the dead. The the true and living God says, you're not going to find help turning to the dead. Turn to me, I'm the living God. And so verse four, he gives them over to, to a fierce and hard master basically they're going to become slaves they desired to be their own master and they'll become slaves instead so we see judgment on their social structures and then from verses 5 to 10 we see the judgment on their economy so the nile river here the waters will be dried up um, Notice that it starts from the sea, the sea, and then the river, and then the canals, and then to the smaller branches. There's a definite order there. Um, and it has a flow on effect. The, the reeds and the rushes in verse 7. Well, probably nobody cares too much about them, but then we get to the, the bare places on the brink of the Nile. Okay, a little bit further out. And then we get to agriculture. What is sown? and um, and then we get to the fish a lack of fish so it's, it's now affecting the industry and um, and the flow-on effects moves on it's not just the farmers who are going to suffer it's the laborers now in verse 9 and 10 um, they can't grow the flax they can't grow the cotton so the, the manufacturing of their, their fine linens and uh, and their fabrics it's all going to come to a grinding halt and so poverty is setting in is going to set in broadly across the whole country if you <coughs> if you consider the um, the the Nile River for Egypt um, if you have a look at the the satellite image here the whole country is just desert uh, apart from this this river of the Nile and the Delta uh, it's just a complete desert this is a picture with uh, showing the the population density you can see the same thing Today, nobody lives in that desert or very few people. All the population is supported by that Nile River. And you can see a similar thing here with the satellite at night, showing the the lights of where the people are today. So you can imagine, you cut off that water supply, you ruin the whole economy uh, of of the country. And the third uh, aspect of the judgment is on uh, how it works out politically. If we look at verses 11 to 15, uh, verse 11, the Egyptians boasted in their wisdom. I am the son of the wise, they say. Um, and they boast in their heritage, a son of ancient kings. Uh, Zoan is mentioned there. Zoan is in the northeast corner of this delta, uh, that red mark there on the map. Ironically, in Psalm 78, the field of Zoan is mentioned as the place where God performed the ten plagues and those wonders before Pharaoh, before he parted the Red Sea for them to cross. That that ancient wisdom obviously got lost in the generations between Moses' time and this time, Isaiah's time. Uh, Memphis is also mentioned in verse 13. Memphis is the the yellow circle there, 21 kilometers south of Cairo. It was an ancient and very glamorous royal city. Um, Its importance is demonstrated by the multitudes of pyramids and sphinxes that are around there, like this one. Um, Today, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You can go and visit it. Uh, And the the sphinx has uh, the head of Pharaoh and the body of a lion. Um, The idea is it guards the tomb, the divine power of wisdom with which Pharaoh ruled and protected his people. That's the idea of of the Sphinx. Um, But, of course, the, the princes of Memphis have become deluded, it says in verse 13. It's like what it says in Isaiah, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and it shall be brought low and again uh, in chapter 5:21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight verse 14 egypt's political leaders stagger like a drunk man there's no clear direction it's like you know when the police pull over a, a drunken motorist and they say walk the line and, and they just can't do it they stumble one way and then the other, um, and I guess not even your average drunkard would would stumble in his own vomit. But this is this is what's happening: that the shame of these leaders uh, is their own undoing. And note in verse fourteen: this is God's doing. God has made a remarkable example out of Egypt. Um, for his people Judah to see and to heed and he points it out here lest they attribute it to chance where did the spirit of confusion come from God God's not a, not, he's not a God of confusion is he perhaps it's something like what happened in 1 Kings 22 where God gave permission for a lying spirit presumably Satan uh, to, to speak lies into the mouth of the false prophets and to tell the wicked King Ahab to go into battle so that he'll die God himself doesn't lie but he does use the father of lies the devil um, to accomplish his purposes which are always for good and uh, what the devil purposes for evil God purposes for good and, and Satan is just a tool in God's hands And, and so God's judgment on Egypt is comprehensive. Their social structures, their economy, their political um, political uh, stability, their livelihoods. It, it's all going to come crashing down. They're going to get what they deserve for worshipping idols. But there is hope. God will heal the land and the people he's going to heal the land and the people that he strikes and this is what we see in uh, the following verses from verses 16 through to the end of chapter 19 so these verses are a series of, uh, of five statements of hope and healing and they all begin with this phrase in that day which comes up quite a lot in the Bible and particularly in the prophets in that day or the day of the Lord means um, it it identifies a a span of time where God is going to act uh, in a particular way. He's going to intervene to accomplish His purposes. So the land in which Judah um, the land of Judah will become a a terror to the Egyptians. This is the first so the first um, uh, sorry the first uh, the first one of these in this process is is fear. first part of this healing process is fear. So in verse 16 and 17, the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Um, perhaps this is because the Assyrian invasion which happened during Isaiah's lifetime in 701 BC we'll go more into that a bit later. Um, when Egypt thought that Judah when Egypt thought of Judah, they feared because of the purposes of the Lord. Secondly, from, fear, from fearing the Lord, we get to the allegiance. It's unclear what these five cities are here, um, or, or what the one called the city of destruction is. But um, it's clear that a remnant of Egypt, at least, will turn to the Lord and begin to participate in this, this unity of God's, uh, God's worldwide people. And then from allegiance, we, we get to reconciliation in verse, uh, verses 19 to 22. The altar in verse 19, that's the place of reconciliation. If We think back to Isaiah 6, 6, where the angel took that burning coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips. Um, taking away or atoning for his sin the altar was a place of sacrifice and therefore um, re- reconciliation of a, uh, a with a holy God a sinner with a holy God verse 20 they will call on the Lord and he'll save them there's there's prayer here they'll know the Lord and they'll worship him this is more than just the allegiance so we started with fear, then we had allegiance. This is more than allegiance. This is um, this is true worship. It's worship both public, we see there that sacrifices and offerings, that's, that's public worship. And then also private, where they're making vows to the Lord uh, and, and keeping them, following through with their vows. There's also purposeful discipline here in, in verse 22. It talks about striking and healing. Uh, there's, there's, God is striking for a purpose but he's going to heal through that then we move on to unity in verse 23 there's a highway of unity uh, between Assyria and Babylon there's two great superpowers as Assyria and, and Egypt they will be admitted to fellowship uh, the fellowship of, with God's chosen people Israel are God's chosen nation, um, but now Egypt and Assyria will be brought in. And what unites them is the the, the worship of the Lord, which leads to peace. And so the final step here is is to be blessed, uh, to be part of God's covenant community. Um, We see here... Uh, this, this wonderful forecast of, of a new covenant where believing Gentiles or non-Jews uh, become the recipients of God's covenant love and we know this happens through Jesus Christ There's, um, if we look at verse 24 um, sorry verse 25 says there Assyria will be the work of my hands. And there's a, a wonderful verse in the New Testament that talks about for well, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then again, it uh, talks about Assyria Assyria, sorry, Egypt being my people. So here, uh, think about 1 Peter 2:10. Once you were not a people And this is talking about the gentiles here so talking about uh, egypt talking about um uh, australians most of us who are not jews once you were not a people now you are god's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so there's a wonderful healing going on here where god is bringing these great uh, nations together bringing a people for himself and this is fulfilled as we see in the new testament in god's people um, the the gentiles who come to faith you and i who, who trust in the lord jesus coming into that covenant community so then we get to the third part which is the the shame of trusting in idols so this is in chapter 20 here the, uh, the Assyrian conquest of, of Ashdod that's described in chapter 20 took place in 711 BC. Ashdod was one of the five key Philistine cities. It was also part of the inheritance of Judah. It was on the highway between Egypt and Assyria. And um, for the previous four years, Egypt had been, uh, had been offering aid to Palestinian uh, cities if they would... Rise up against Assyria. And so Ashdod in 713 BC rebelled against Assyria, but the king of Assyria, who's Sargon II, um, it says Sargon here is known as Sargon II in history if you look him up, um, it, it sent, he sent the commander of the army and captured Ashdod. This um, this uh, stele, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but a, a, a stone rock, um, was a monument set up by Assyria in Ashdod uh, once they conquered it. Um, this was indicating their power and control over the city, which had become an Assyrian province at this time. This stone was unearthed in 1963. Um, a, again, just a wonderful uh, example of how archaeology... Uh, uh, it gives evidence for, for the Bible's truth and this, this was smashed six years later when uh, Assyria, where Ashdod actually broke free from Assyria after Sargon's death but um, the significance of this event of, of uh, Assyria's conquest of Ashdod is that trusting in Egypt was futile Egypt didn't save Ashdod from Assyria and and nor would the Jews be saved by trusting in Egypt. Instead, many Egyptians and Kushites, Kushites um, are Ethiopians. They would in fact be be captured and led away by Assyria, stripped and ashamed. Ethiopia and uh, and, and Egypt, Cush and Egypt, were were in alliance. They were they were allies at this point. And um, so we, we get to this str- this strange request that God makes of Isaiah to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Can you imagine someone doing that today? Oh yeah, God's really telling me I've just got to walk around for three years and, uh, and prophesy with, with no clothes on. I think you'd last three years. Might end up at Fulham. But... um, Uh I've lost where I was now. So, Isaiah's naked wanderings uh, were intended to be a visual display of the shame and humility um, that would happen to these Egyptians, their their plight. um, It it points to the futility of trusting in this great superpower. And um, when it actually happened, we see in verse 5 and 6, people would realize that Egypt's great wealth and power were actually no match for the purposes of of the Lord. The prediction of the Egyptians and the Kushites being led away, uh, captive, would be fulfilled in 701 BC, after the Battle of al which was was near um, Ashdod, as you can see on the map there. Um, Judah had made an alliance with Egypt despite God warning them against it. And so Egypt attempted to fulfill its promise to Judah um, by putting an army in the field. But they were defeated at Alteca by the Assyrians under the rule of Sennacherib, who was uh, the king after, after Sargon. From here, the Assyrians sieged Jerusalem. Uh, this is what's recorded in 2 Kings 18 and 19. And without the help of Egypt, Hezekiah, king of Judah, only had the Lord to turn to. And he did turn to the Lord. Um, and Sennacherib uh, uh, besieged Jerusalem, um, but he didn't destroy it. It's, uh, it was the the only city in uh, that, that destroyed 46 cities um, across Judah. And Jerusalem was the only city that um, the Assyrians didn't record... That they'd actually destroyed. Um, all the others that they, they boasted about how they'd destroyed them completely, but Jerusalem they didn't. Um, from 2 Kings 19, uh, this is the account. And the the night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. So that's the context of of chapter 20 there. So in conclusion, we see here, I've broken this into two parts. We've got the kingdoms of the earth and we've got God's kingdom. We see here in the kingdoms of the earth that God is sovereign over the nations. Not just in Bible times, but even today. What does this sovereignty mean? We like to think, about and remind ourselves that God is sovereign, don't we? Because it brings us comfort. But for the pagan gentile nation of Egypt, God acted to bring civil unrest, natural disaster, uh, economic collapse, political chaos, and all their idols and, and their godless wisdom were revealed to be empty and useless. And if God is still sovereign, and he does these things to nations how is our nation different from egypt australia might not be a superpower but we have great wealth like egypt we benefit from great scientific and technological advancements like they did you might say but but we're not a country full of idols we don't have monuments to to the ra the sun god or or to uh, to Osiris, the God of the afterlife. But how many of us trust in all manner of things apart from the Lord? In science, technology, in wealth, in health, in our comforts. um, I've got a quote here from uh, Bill Delvo, who says this better better than I could say it, so I'll just read it. It's in an article called uh, Coronavirus, Is Coronavirus Exposing Our Idols? And he says, The entire sports world has ground to a halt. Financial markets are increasingly turbulent. Modern medicine is struggling to handle the virus. Businesses are barely surviving or shut down. The whole entertainment world is non-functional. Vacation and travel are almost non-existent. There is nothing inherently wrong with any of these. But when they take the place of God, they become idols that ultimately cannot meet the needs of our destitute hearts. So in God's severe mercy, He will allow them to fall away. So that we can clearly see how false our trust has been. Remember, He wants to free us from our slavery. And then he goes on to say, the wake up call is to see our misplaced confidence in idols. We can respond by waking up to our personal idols, answering the invitation and placing our trust in Him. Or we can respond by clinging tighter to our idols. The first choice will produce peace and joy and hope and love. The second Will lead us into deeper anxiety, fear, and bondage. So, God brings affliction for a purpose here the striking and the healing, from verse 22. We were reading in Psalm 119 the other day, uh, and these couple of verses stood out to me. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. There is purpose. For the person who trusts in the Lord, there is purpose to the affliction. And so then we come to the kingdom of God. What does this mean for the kingdom of God? Ultimately, what we see in this passage is that while God is sovereign over the kingdoms of mankind, He Himself is building a kingdom that transcends all human kingdoms. And is made up of people from, from all nations. See, Egypt and Assyria are a representative of all human pride and wickedness and foolishness. Yet, in verses 24 and 25, this is a beautiful picture. Of of how the Lord is able to bring these most powerful, uh, these most proud and most self-determined nations and and people to to voluntarily submit to His rule. And therefore enjoy the blessing of being His covenant people. But to enjoy the blessing of living in covenant love, uh, in, in God's covenant love it's necessary to be humbled first verse 22 there says the Lord will strike Egypt striking and healing that they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and he'll heal them the same is true for each of us individually we must fall before we can rise we must repent before we can know salvation We must see ourselves as being poor in spirit before we can enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the the proud and the mighty who will inherit the earth, but the meek. Every kingdom has a king. And this kingdom that God is building has a king. The King's name is Jesus. He's the Savior and Defender that it's talking about in verse 20. He's the Savior because He bore our sins in His death on the cross. He's the Defender because He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and intercedes on our behalf. Jesus is King. Is He your King? If not whatever you're trusting in will be like Egypt it'll fail and you'll be left exposed but nothing between your idolatrous heart and holy God naked so to speak so return to God and know his mercy and if Jesus is your King then You are a blessing in the midst of the earth, like it says in verse 24. We're we're living right now. We're living in that day that these verses uh, 15 to uh, 16 to 25 describe. We're living in that day. You have received mercy from God. So be merciful. The Lord has made himself known to you and been gracious to you. So make your life an offering and a sacrifice. To him, and make him known to the nations. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you, Lord, for this word this morning. Pray that if anyone hearing this does not uh, has not made Christ King of their life, Lord, that you would work in their hearts to bring them to that point. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us who know you to trust you. To be a blessing in this world and to make you known thank you that you rule the nations Lord rule our hearts we pray in Jesus name Amen